How many people know you've got a great Bible teacher here as a pastor? Do you know that? And so it's always good to have that. Thanks for the praise, man. I'm always blessed when I come here. Good to see you. Are we ready for the Word of God this morning? All right. Well, before we start the Word of God, just say I do have a book with me. Um, this year is my 50th year in ministry. Um, I know I, I looked up far too young, don't I, for that? But I entered Bible college in 1968 and uh, into Bible college. In fact, we just had a reunion last week and last weekend of the students who were, in my case, a teenager when I went into Bible college. Uh, and uh, we met for 48 hours together. Uh, that's 50 years since those days. And so I have a book to talk about a little bit, some of the things I've learned over that period of time, which is I've learned a lot of things. I'm sure I've still got a lot of things to learn. Um, but it's really basically an autobiography, and those are at the back. If you buy them on the website, my website, they're 7.99, 7 pounds today. And the profits go to mentoring young leaders. And so uh, I want us to speak this morning about making a decision to change things in our life now. So often we put off to a future the time when we uh, expect God to bless us. In fact, I'm always amazed about how people make decisions at any level. You know, if you're on holiday, say, it doesn't matter if it's a cruise or a coach trip, something like that. When you get off the bus, you've got perhaps, or off the ship, and you've got a, um, probably just a day in the town. It's a seaside resort, and you've usually got somebody in front of you, which I will call Bill and Ethel. And they're usually in the way that you're trying to get to somewhere, and this is the conversation that goes on. And uh, Bill says to his wife, now, do you want to walk along the coast while we're here for a day, or do you want to go into the shops? And uh, she will say, look, uh, I don't mind, dear. You, you make the decision. So he said, oh, no, it's your holiday. Do you want to walk along the coast, or do you want to go into the town, to the shops? I don't mind. You're the head of the family. You make the decision. No, come on. Make a decision. Do you want to walk along the coast? Do you want to go in the shop? She says, no, love, you make the decision. She says, all right, I'll make a decision. We're going, to, uh, we're going to walk along the coast. And she says, Bill, what's that? What's wrong with the shops? Anybody else in a marriage like that? And so as a few people honest, honest today, making a decision, decisions that we make affect our future. And yet so often we begin to believe as Christians that the blessing that's coming won't come today, it'll come tomorrow. And so one of the dangers when we look at vision is that there are those Christians, sometimes when they get to my age, in fact, who all their talk is about what God did yesterday. They're they're like driving, it's like people who are driving a car through the rearview mirror. There is a a reason why your rearview mirror is smaller than your front window screen, because the future is more important than the, than the past. Now, the past is important, and it's good to give testimony, like we've heard this morning. And it's always good. In fact, this book is about testimony. It's good to give testimony. But then there's another danger that if we're not talking about the yesterday all the time, what God did, we end up talking about the future. Well, that's when God's going to bless me. And there's huge dangers in doing that. Because if you do that, you see, when you're, when you're say, a kid, you, you know, and you're a child, you said, you know, I'd love to, when I get grown up and I won't have my parents tell me what to do, and then you, you, you go to school or university, you know, it'll be great now, I'm on my own, and, but life will really begin when I find a partner, when I get married. And then you get married, well, you know, it's going to be great when we can afford a house or somewhere to rent or a flat. And then you get the flat, well, you know, it's great we have, when we go and have kids. We're going to be fulfilled when we have kids. Now we get kids. Well, you know, it's really going to be great when the kids leave home and we've got some space 
That's really going to be good. We're going to have time for ourselves. We've got a bit, bit of spare money now. We're not spending it on the kids. And so the kids grow up and leave home. We said, you know, I'm fed up with working every single day. It's really going to happen for me when I get retired. When we're retired, life will begin. And then we get retired and we think, if only I was younger, if only I was fitter, <laughs> if, only, if only I had more of the kids around. And so what's happened is you go through your life and your decisions for what God's going to do even is going to be tomorrow. Perhaps, I mean, when I was with you uh, last time, it's great to get the privilege of being with you from time to time. And uh, it was in January and we were talking, if you remember, about living in a new season coming into a new season, coming into your springtime, and that is important. And even in that kind of thing, it's all true, but again, the season is the coming season. And God wants to meet with us in the present. Now, there are a number of things. The word now in the Bible is a powerful word. It's only three letters long, and it's powerful. Many, many times when God asked folk to do some of the hardest things, they did it immediately. So when... um, Jesse tells his son to go to David to go early in the morning. He gets up early and he goes to an encounter we'll come to later, meeting Goliath. Uh, Even when God speaks to Abram and says, I want you to sacrifice your son, which is just unbelievable preparing to think of, you would do that. The Bible says he went early in the morning to do it. He did it in the now. He did it straight away. Now. You know, I want to come to the good things about receiving from God, but you cannot be totally truthful to the Word of God without saying that there are some things we need to get rid of now. You know, it's very easy when you're a a visiting speaker, and most of my life has been a visiting speaker going down different places, and you you bring a word of encouragement, and it's going to be great, and faith messages, and to encourage people, and I hope that I do that. But, you know, to be faithful to the Word of God, you've got to preach the whole counsel of God. You've got to bring challenge. You've got to bring warning sometimes. I don't mean one of those preachers who blows in, blows up, and blows out, and then you're away. Uh, To be truthful, and there are times in Scripture when God says, there are things that you're holding on to that you need to get rid of now. You see, if I come to church today, in fact, the first thing that Carol said to me after saying hello was, John, would you like a cup of tea or coffee? Will we serve it? Heart. Well, I just not long had a cup of coffee because I set off early this morning, so I didn't need it. But you see, if I come in with two bags in each hand and I really would love a cup of coffee, your heart is to give me refreshment. My heart is to be refreshed. But before I can receive anything from you, however good your heart is or my need is, I've got to drop what I'm carrying first. And we have to think, what are those best blessings that God's got for your life and for your family, for, for my life? What are those best blessings that God says, I would love to plan that into your life, into your church, but what you're carrying now, you need to relinquish before I can get space to give it you. We have to have open hands. I wrote, the first book I wrote years ago, 25 or more than that, 30 years ago, was called Open Hearts, Open Hands. Because God knows if we've got open hand, clean hands, you know, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who gets the best blessing? He or she who has clean hands, a pure heart. Hands that are clean. When I used to go to the table for my dinner when I was a little kid, my mom says, John, John, have you washed your hands? If I said yes, if, if that's fine. If I said no, I tell you, I'd still be at the table now. In fact, I'd be skin and bone. I'd be dead. Because I would never get my meal until my mother said, have you washed your hands? She did that with the kids. Now, God looks for clean hands. Now, 
God can't look for perfect hands because if God's looking for perfect people who aren't struggling with stuff, God's never going to bless anybody. Is that true? Because we're all working at something and everybody's working at something in their life. But when God talks about the challenge of dealing with things now, he's not looking for perfection. He's looking for me not holding on to anything I shouldn't be holding on to. And so that could be stuff on a hard drive these days in a computer. It could be uh, a relationship that's not gone too far at work, uh, but it's not a good relationship and that needs to be killed in the bud straight away because it can move on to be a problem later on. You adults know what I'm talking about here. Um, these things need to be got rid of in the instant. I was in, um, have you ever heard of the revival that went on in Pensacola some years ago? There was a great revival in Pensacola in this church. Um, in fact, an elder, I was a pastor of a church, and my elder, senior elder and I went out there to look what was happening, see if we could learn anything. We had to queue for four hours to get into the service. The queue was so long, we had to wait for four hours to get in. And uh, there were many people that particular night we were there who'd given, a, it was in Florida, and many people who gave their life to Christ. And there was a, I remember this huge crowd of people at the front. And the evangelist called Steve Hill, he said, there's, some, there's one other person that should be there. Now, I'm looking at all these crowds, and I'm thinking, you should be satisfied with the number of people that have come out. There's loads of them. You know, one other person. You've got hundreds and hundreds of people there. He said, I'm not going to continue until that person comes out. Now, what I'm going to say now, some people's theology will not accept this, but this is what he said. My theology accepts it. He said, this is your last opportunity. And he said, oh, no, the door of grace is always open. God will allow anybody to come anytime, you know, to get saved. That isn't true. When Noah preached righteousness for many, many years, and they didn't, people didn't listen, Noah says, right, I've given them the opportunity to get into the ark. And you know what the Bible says? It doesn't say, Noah, now shut the door. He said, God shut the door. And when the door's open, you take that open door. If you're not a Christian yet, come on, I want to encourage you more than anything. Please accept God's free gift of eternal life now. Because God, the Bible says, my spirit will not always strive with men. I will not keep on, keep on, keep on forever. Now, he does it for a long time. The day of grace has been open for the world for 2,000 years. But there's a day... Anyway, so he said, I'm not going to continue. He said, there's somebody in the armed forces. He said, you're a soldier. And you need to be... This is your, if you don't get saved tonight, then God will not speak to you again. And so we're, I'm in the congregation. I'm not a preacher. I'm in the congregation waiting for ages. Nobody's coming out. There's a big queue of people waiting to be prayed for. I get goosebumps when I tell that. I don't know if it's the anointing of God or goosebumps, but when I tell this story, and uh, nobody came out. So the praise band, he had a big praise band there, and it had a brass section, and there was a guy in his 50s who was on the trumpet, and he knew that this guy had been a, a soldier. Uh, he'd been a soldier. He said, I want you to come out and play on your trumpet taps. Now, taps in America, it's like the last post. You play this over a graveside, when a soldier is being buried, you play it as respect uh, because it's the last sound the family hear at a funeral, play on a soldier. So this guy is really weird feeling this in a, in a meeting, and the guy's playing on the trumpet taps, which is the, well, I've told you. And then from the gallery, out of the corner, 
Dowry stepping down in front of everybody comes a soldier that no one had seen even the evangelist couldn't have seen him for where he was in full military uniform and that night he gave his life to Christ his parents had been praying for years they'd got him to come to the meeting you see that was a now moment that was a now moment David and I were talking about Scotland earlier and uh, I have a sister I was pastor and regional leader in Scotland for I do 16 years or something and my sister lives up there now and I'm preaching next week in Inverness so I like Scotland and the story told of a man out in the wilds of Scotland one day many years ago walking by a fast flowing river and it's winter and it's freezing and he sees what looks like a big block of ice coming along the river he sees this big block of ice and he thought, well, that's, what's so strange, a block of ice, because there's, no, there's not much of that. And then he realizes it's a kind of a dead animal or something. Like we'd have roadkill on the road, it's like a deer or something. But it had frozen solid, almost frozen solid. And it was just going along, on the, along the top. How it didn't sink, I don't know. But there it was. As he watched, some great big, like, vulture kind of bird came and settled on it and uh, started surfing. It looked like surfing all the time. Uh, on the top of this thing, pecking at it, and then it was looking up. And the reason it was looking up was that downstream was this sheer waterfall. And the bird knew that the waterfall was going to, they're going to be reaching it. And so, how much time have I to hold on what I'm enjoying? Anybody following me here? How much time have I got to hold on to what I'm enjoying before I get myself in a place of danger? And it kept, the, the man's watching and the kid's pecking. And, they, and he, can see, he can see the edge of the waterfall any time now that a bird had better fly. The bird made the decision to extend its big wings and started to flutter his wings and started to rise. But didn't realize it had stayed on too long and his claws, his talons had frozen to the carcass. So when the carcass went over, it was a dead weight and the bird perished because it had passed the moment of the now. It had passed the moment of the now. And, do you know, when preachers took like this, talk like this, I think, I don't know I've said to you before, there's a great disadvantage in being a, a visiting speaker. There's lots of advantages. You get to meet loads of people like yourself and new people. But the disadvantage is, if you've never heard me speak before, and I come in, nobody knows you, and you're, you know, you're um, they're looking at you and saying, my goodness me, he looks a lot older than I thought. You know, things like that, spiritual things like that. Uh, I think I mentioned that last time. But the, the great advantage is the same as the disadvantage. You don't know me. And because you don't know me well, I don't know you well. And I am not, I don't know anything about your life any more than you know anything about my private life. And I don't know what's going on. So if God is speaking to you today, it's not because of any knowledge I've got. It's because God's trying to help you in the now. If you're not a Christian yet, come on, let this be a now moment. Let's be your now moment. I put it off, I put it off, I put it off. I'm going to do it now. I'm not going to say that I've, God's told me it's the last chance anyone's got, but don't wait till your last chance. Don't wait till your last chance. Don't wait till your last chance. So there's a now of getting rid of stuff that we need to get rid of. The Bible book of Hebrews says, cast off now the deeds of darkness. 2 Corinthians 6, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Not tomorrow, not next week. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. Come now, reading this in the 
um, in, in the NIV. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Let's just pray for a moment. I'm not going to make an appeal now. I'm going to make an appeal at the end. But I really want God to begin to speak into our now. We've probably been making a commitment to God in our spirit right now about things that we just need to get out of our hands, not because God is some like big schoolmaster in heaven trying to keep us in order with a big stick, but because he loves us so much, he doesn't want us hanging on to anything that we don't need to free up to receive his best blessing. So, Father, just speak into our lives. And we pray, Father, in fact, I'm actually saying, I'm actually saying in my spirit that later on in the message, I'm going to give a chance for an appeal. The problem is I've put off the now, haven't I, by doing that? So I'm not going to put off the now. And I only ask you to do, you know, I've been here before. I want to ask one thing when I come to a church, and that is that at this kind of moment, no one looks around at what anybody else is doing. So if we just close our eyes and just give people privacy and space like they're giving you privacy and space. And God has spoken to you, and thank you for doing that. And so God has spoken to you, and you said, there's that, I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to deal with it as soon as I get out of this meeting. I'm going to, do, I'm going to make a decision now. I'm going to get that out of my hands, out of my life. And if that's where you are, just raise your hand straight up. I'll see it, acknowledge, and take it down. God bless you. 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 Thank you. Take your hand down. It might be, you know, it might get in things right with somebody that you've fallen out with. And it's probably not your fault. It may not even be your fault. But you said, look, this relationship's broken, and I'm just going to say, look, can we get this sorted? That's another area where we need to get these things out in the now. Could I even go to the point, because I'm going to be talking primarily to people who've made a decision to follow Jesus. I'm going to pray in a second for those, and I won't bring you out to the front, won't ask you to stand to your feet, because I've asked for privacy, obviously, for you. But I'm going to pray over you in a moment. But... If you've never, you come to church, you may even associate with this church, but you've never made the step to follow Jesus and say, I'm going to commit my life to Christ now. I'm not going to put it off anymore. This will be my day. I'm going to follow Jesus from today onwards, and I'm going to start my journey to find out more about God. If that's you, let this be your now moment. Just raise your hand right where you are. When I see it, I'll include you in that prayer. God bless you. I see you. At the back. God bless you, sir. I see you there at the back as well. Bless you. Did somebody else raise their hand? No? Okay. Right, okay. Come and see me or come and see Pastor or, or somebody you know in the church to tell them that you did that. The two of you, God bless you. Father, we thank you. We haven't even put off this decision to the end of the message. That, Lord, we bless you for those, first of all, who have recognized things like we've all had in our lives at different levels, attitudes, um, situations, temptations. And, Father, we thank you for those who've had the incredible courage not only to listen to God with humility, but to respond to him with that urgency. And we pray, Father, you'll give them the grace, each one of them, to see through that which they have promised to do today. And now, Father, we pray for the two who raised their hand to make their first-time decision. Lord, thank you for them. Thank you for their willingness to hear your voice above all the, all, all, all the static of other influences in our life and say, now is the day when I draw a line in the sand as I follow Jesus from today. Pray them, bless them, Lord, as they continue their spiritual journey from this moment on. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, you don't all know where the two people are, where they were sitting. Uh, they know where they are. Heaven knows where they are. But how about a big clap to welcome into the kingdom of God in their journey? Most important thing, I can remember the day I was, a, I was a boy when I gave my life to Christ. I was in a, a tent. My grandfather was an evangelist, and I was a little kid. My mother took me, his daughter took me along to this meeting. Loads of people raised their hands in that meeting. If you've read the book, you know the story at the beginning. Loads of adults had raised their hand, and I raised my hand. When my grandfather was a preacher, he was probably younger than I am now, and he came off the platform, he saw me crying. And uh, I, for some reason, I'm not really wired up even as an adult or even a young bird to cry too much, but I was crying that day. And he used to give out a little New Testament with pictures in it to everybody who'd become a Christian because people didn't have Bibles necessarily. And uh, so he had a New Testament. And he assumed that he, he walked past his daughter, my mother and me, and I've, he knows I've raised my hand. And he sees me crying. And he says, oh, didn't somebody give John? I'm only a little kid. Did somebody not give John the New Testament? And I remember thinking now, I cannot believe my grandfather said that. I'm not bothered about the New Testament. I've just heard that Jesus died on the cross for me, and I'm crying out of joy. So I remember that moment. I remember that moment. And so however young you are, however old you are, please, please, please don't put it off. Now let's move on to the rest of the message now. Here's a day for the Christian to grasp now the good things God's got for you. Grasp it now. You know, there was a time when the Israel walked for 40 years and round in circles through the, through the wilderness. And uh, they'd had the law given by Moses. And now they've wandered around. They've been disobedient to God. They've gone through amazing, some bad things, some good things. Now they're on the edge. Someone say the edge. On the edge of God's promised land. Now, you and I as Christians are not looking for a promised land. What we're looking for, we're living in a land of promises. Every one of God's word, every one of God's promises are yea and amen. He's never broken any of his promises. He's never broken his word. But they were, ending, they were about to enter in to what God has promised them for years. So God says, and that's what the book of Deuteronomy is about, it's the re-giving of the law again to remind them of what God has said before they go into the promised land. And they, you see, they've got into a place, and I, this is not a word of knowledge. This is just the law of averages. These people had come out of slavery, so they weren't in slavery, but they hadn't come into God's best blessing. They were in a kind of no man's land. They weren't living in, you know, what we would, they weren't living in Egypt. They had no slave masters over them, so they were, that was good. So they'd come out of the really bad, but they hadn't got into the really good. And so they settled up for being in the middle. And a lot of Christians in church, and remember, I've been a pastor for a long, long time, as I've already told you, they're happy to live in the no man's land. They're not in the world doing the things that they did before they were saved, but neither are they in the best blessings that God's got for their life. Because they think, well, with that best blessings, there might be some extra challenges, there might be some cost involved in that. They're not in the best God's got for them, and they're not in the worst the devil's done to them. And so they settle for mediocrity. How many people know God doesn't want us to settle for mediocrity? God wants us to grasp now the things that God has got for our lives. And so he said to them in Deuteronomy 1, the Lord our God said, you have stayed long enough in this mountain, in this middle ground. Break camp and advance. See, I have given you this land. Go in, take possession of the land the Lord swore 
He would give you fathers to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's a very big reason why God would have called him their fathers, Abram, Isaac, excuse me, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. Is this water? It's not been here for three weeks and sort of <laughs> tadpoles in it or anything, is it? No. Ah, <laughs> oh, I didn't think that would be true if Carol wouldn't allow that, would you, Carol? You wouldn't allow me to be drinking all that. See, God once spoke to Abram and he said, you're in a, a, come to a position, you're one of the most wealthy people in the world. But the Bible says he's one of the most wealthy men on the face of the earth, if not the wealthiest man. And he said, I want you to move thou now from where, now, from where you are into the place I've got for you. And... And so he did, and the story of Abram is a great story, how he entered into a really great time with God. But God has spoken to his father years and years earlier about doing the very same thing. And people don't realize that, but God has spoken to Abram, his, his, his um, father's called Terah, T-E-R-A-H. And uh, God has said, I want you to move from where you are. And the Bible says that his father had moved from the place where he was, but before he got into the place of God's best promise, he found a nice settled area called Haran, and he lived there. And I'm just praying this morning that those of you who enjoy church, and I enjoy church, those of us who enjoy church, don't get into a settled place. Now God, you know, the Bible says that Pastors and preachers, we're there to make the uncomfortable comfortable and the comfortable uncomfortable. The settled place is, well, it's all fine. I've got great friends in the church. Everything's good around me. It's, you know, it's all good. Um, but, you know, I'm all right. I come and I enjoy it all. Friends, I want to tell you, God has got far more for everyone. Young people, will you hear it? Teenagers who are in the meeting today, glad Pastor Escher to stay in. You really need to hear this, teenagers. God has got awesome things in your future, but you start enjoying them now. You start enjoying them now. So God speaks to me about, you know, one day I'll be in the book. I tell you I had a vision from the Lord when I was a child that I would be uh, a literal vision of Jesus, that I would be a pastor. And, but, you know, as soon as I could get preaching, that's why I've been a pastor for, for 50 years, because I started very quickly. I was preaching out and preaching in pulpits, my father's pulpit, when I was 14, 15, 16, those areas, because I had to start now. You want to say, if you're, a, if you're a young person today, please don't think that you've got to wait in some kind of bus queue forever until the pastor can use you. Pastor, use your young people, I'm sure you do. You need to get involved. Great to see the guys in the praise band, in the praise team, in the music. Get involved now. See yourself as a leader today. In fact, you are a leader. Can I say to the teenagers, do you mind if I speak to the teenagers for a few minutes? Just for a second or two. Teenagers, leadership, you are a leader in your school playground, if we're still in school, in your college place. What is a leader? Not somebody with a title like me, pastor. A leader is someone who has an influence upon other people. Mothers in the house, you are a leader in your home. Someone say amen. You might be a leader in business you, for a woman, as a woman. I don't know. We'll come to that in a second. But what I'm saying is you're a leader. Fathers, you're a leader in your home. If you exert influence, 
You can change the atmosphere in your school by standing out and being different for Christ in your college. Don't go with the flow. Only dead flesh, only dead flesh, flesh, only dead fish swim with the current. You strengthen, you strengthen yourself by swimming against the current. When everybody in your class is laughing at the things of God, and everybody's doing stuff that you know as a Christian you shouldn't do, you're not taking drugs, you're not having sex before marriage, all that, and you stand out. I tell you, that is the time to do it now. Well, when, you know, a time will come. I'm going to be dealing with the time that will come in a minute. Here's a prophetic word to young people become a leader wherever you are now. In your school, in your university, in your college, in your street, wherever you are, be a leader now. Be someone big enough to be different. Don't just go with a crowd. Stand up. Be a woman of God. Be a man of God now. That's a word. I went that. You know, if, if you never hear another word I preach this morning, young person, listen to it. Get, you know, I was going to use a really spiritual phrase. Get off your butt. Do it now. Get sorted now. Now. Because I'm telling you, you will strengthen spiritual muscles that will make you a mighty woman of God. Not only now, but in the future. Stand out from the crowd. I think of people in my, in, in my church when I was a pastor, I'm talking about not teenagers, I'm talking about younger. When the teacher taught that evolution was a fact, and it's only one of 95 theories about the, you know, of evolution, said, I, do, I believe God created the world. Well, I tell you, when you're 10, that takes incredible courage to do. That takes incredible courage to do. And don't just say, oh, well, the pastor told me God created the world, so I must believe it. Look at things. Go onto YouTube. I'm going along this line a minute. I'm talking to young people still. Go onto YouTube and look at people like Professor John Lennox debating Dawkins, you know, um, the God delusion, at the level of intellectual debate. Not saying I believe it because God said it. That's good enough for lots of us to do that. But debating him at his own level and winning that debate. He's the professor of mathematics at Oxford. And he is arguing and debating with, with um, Dawkins. Look at that stuff on YouTube. Read it. Look at the, uh, at the scientific evidence that is there. But be a leader. Stand out and do it now. Wow. Do you know, I've never felt such a conviction to say anything for a long time in any meeting as that. So lay hold of what God has said. So God says, he says, now I'm the God of um, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's why he said it in Deuteronomy, because t- uh, Abram's father had stopped, and it, but the son went on. And then God continued to bless Abraham. And this call upon Abram's life, who's talking, now I'm moving their way through the, some of the youngest people in the congregation, I'm talking now to some of the older people in the congregation, older than me. Do you know when it was the main call came upon Abram's life when God really called him? Do you know how old he was? 75 years of age. So you're never too young for you now, and you're never too old for you now. 75 years of age. There's hope for all of us, isn't there? 75 years of age. See, it's a case of stepping up into God's now. Look at the excuses. David, let's go back to David. You know, God gave him a job. His father gave him a job, I should say, Jesse, and said, I want you to do something for me early in the morning. So he got up now to do it. I want you to take some cheese sandwiches 
to your brothers who are mighty soldiers. Cheese sandwiches. You know, if you want to do great things for God, start with the small things of service in the church. You know, somebody's, your toilets are immaculate. Somebody made them an immaculate in this church. That is service to God, actually. Whoever, you, whoever did those toilets and look after them and keep them in pristine condition like they're in, that's service to God. Because when we're faithful in little things, God makes us mighty in big things. All right? I don't know whether I was here when I, I told you this. I'm going off a message a bit here. But um, I was preaching in New Zealand at, at their conference because I was one of the general superintendents. You go to different parts of the world. And they have this thing. It's a fun thing, really, where they take one of the pastors in the minister's conference and they bring him to the front and they give him a crunchy bar. You'd think it would be something better than a crunchy bar to give somebody, wouldn't you? And they say, it's a crunchy bar moment. And, and I've been there several times and they'll say, there's a man here. He's got a full-time job as a, as a, a dentist or he's got a full-time job as a, or whatever he does in day-to-day work. But he's planting a church as well. And don't we think that's awesome? So people would usually say, yes, it's awesome, and that's enough to be thanked, isn't it? But for some reason, they give him a crunchy. Goodness knows why. So they give him this, he comes out, and we all thank God for him or her. And then I'm there, and they say, and the person who wins the crunchy moment today is, did I tell the story when I said last? No. The person who wins, and they mention this really foreign-sounded name. It was a kind of Asian name. And I know most of the, the Samoan pastors there um, and, and from a kind of Maori background, awesome leaders. But this was a, a, an Asian name, and it was a woman's name. And most of the pastors, there are women pastors, but most of them are men. So I thought, I don't know that name. And then the, the, the leader of Elim in New Zealand said, uh, of course, she's not in the building at the moment. She's not in the service. So I thought, that's a weird thing. All the pastors are here. Here's the story very quickly for you. This lady was a refugee. She had come over as a refugee to New Zealand to get some sanctuary. She had nothing in this world financially. The church had given her a job, funnily enough, to look after the cloakrooms. It's a huge 2,000-strong church, so they could employ people to care for the church full-time. They'd given her a job, not on a lot of money, of course, but they'd given her a job. She had a job. She'd come into the meeting. She'd got saved. She'd been growing up in the, uh, growing, I say growing up as a, a new Christian, in the church for a while, and she was just, gave up her best for God. And she was working, looking after the loos in this big complex and stuff. And they said, of all the people in Elim, New Zealand, this person gets the accolade today. So someone was sent to find her. You were in the minister's conference. She thought she'd done something wrong. She's nearly in tears. I was there, I was sitting about halfway down, ready to preach, and they bring her, and she's thinking, oh, looking really worried, what have I done wrong, what have I done wrong? And they bring her and said, we want to give you, you see, here's the truth, um, your pastor kindly said I was the leader of Elam for 16 years, I was. I don't know what kind of job I did, I hope it was a good job, but it's, no one's perfect, so I wasn't perfect either, I'm sure. Let's imagine I was 70%, I did the, as best as anybody could do it, okay? I'll get a reward in heaven. That lady, and this is what we understand amongst Elim Pentecostal people that you're part of, if that lady is called by God to work in hiddenness to the 70% of her ability, she gets the same reward in heaven as I get. 
Do you believe that? You see, that's, we've got to get understand that servant mentality. If only the pastor would give me more position. If only the pastor would make me an elder. If only the pastor would do this. Listen, wherever we called, God will bless us if we work to faithfully in the area where God places us. That means status doesn't mean anything to us in the end. Because it's being obedient to God. You see, we, we, I live in, a, in, in, a, in the countryside and we've got an apple tree in the garden. And I noticed something about the apple tree that the apples, the branches with the most fruit, they hang the lowest. And the branches with the least fruit are the most exalted. And I've got to be honest with you. I'm going to share my heart and be real with you. You see, when you've got a name like Glass, you've got to be transparent, haven't you? <laughs> I'm going to be real with you. I find in church, some of them, I don't meet very arrogant people in church, but I do meet some. And they're usually with people with the least fruit in their life. And the most humble people, women of God and men of God, are the ones who are actually producing the most for God, quietly, with humility. Perhaps you're not going to invite me back again after having so much truth like this, but this is, that's how it goes. David could have said as he faced Goliath, he'd given a job to do, deliver cheese sandwiches. He could have said, well, what a terrible thing. I've had been anointed by God one day to be the leader of the nation. That my, my other brothers, uh, they were all dismissed by the prophet when he came to our house. He wasn't going to be king. But I was chosen to be a future king. And now my father's asked me to deliver cheese sandwiches. I will not do it because I'm king material. No, he didn't. He went and delivered the cheese sandwiches. sandwiches. However, when he got to, the, to his brothers, they ridiculed him and said, because they're jealous of him by now, aren't they? They're jealous of him because they've been dismissed. They're jealous. I said, what? And you read it in the Bible. I said, what, what, are you, what are you doing there? Why aren't you looking after the sheep? And David hears this nine-foot-tall giant mocking God and mocking Israel. He said, well, you're soldiers. Why aren't you fighting him? And the king, Saul, who the Bible said is head and shoulders taller than any other man in Israel, why isn't he fighting the giant when you're getting on to me about cheese sandwiches? And he said, frankly, if you're not going to fight the giant, he's, the Bible says, King James Version mentioned, he was ruddy of complexion. That means he was so young he hadn't started shaving. That's all it means, ruddy of complexion. The guy hadn't even started shaving, and he takes on a giant that the trained soldiers and the king of Israel are frightened of taking on. Because that was, listen to it, someone say it with me, it was his now moment. It was his now What's your now moment? You see... You know, I, I, I've got an interest in photography. I've had, you probably have as well, many of you. If you take a picture, if I take a picture of that tree with the, there now, there's no picture. Then a beautiful colored bird lights on it. There's a picture. Then it flies off. There's no picture. So I've got to get it at the decisive moment. Are you following me? When there's a picture. Now in your life now, young people, hear me, teenagers, don't put this off to more spiritual young people than you. You've got a decisive moment now. And yesterday may not have been that, tomorrow may not be that, but it's the moment when God clicks the shutter over your life and said, I'm going to give you a vision for now. I'm going to give you aspiration for now. I'm going to build your confidence now. I'm going to give you hope now. I'm going to give you aspiration now. There's no picture before, there's no picture after, but at the now moment, there always is. 
I'm going to watch time because I want to come to a conclusion in a little while. We're going to pray again. So David could have said, well, you know, I've got a giant, but and look at the state of me. I'm probably, what is he, four foot six or something. If that, when I get taller, I'll take on the giants. Sorry, there's no, there's no now moments when you get taller. You following me? There isn't a now moment for you. Because the giant, Israel's in slavery. Gideon. I don't know if anybody here suffers, suffers with depression. I'm not talking about feeling down on a Monday morning. Everybody gets that sometime. I'm talking about a heavy depression. You know, the Bible says Jesus was tempted on all points like we are, yet without sin. That means all points. Do you know that Jesus was once depressed? You say, I can't believe it. There were two times in the Bible I know he was depressed. The Bible says when he was in the being tempted, he was made so weak and heavy that he had to have angels come and help him. Do you know the remarkable thing about that? I want you to think about this. Those of you who are leaders here today or uh, long-term Christians, put it like that. How do we know, because he, he was alone in the wilderness, how do we know that he was very weak during that period? How did anybody know that? Because he told the disciples, do you know what? I felt really weak during that period. That takes a big leap. If Jesus can admit a sense of, not moral weakness, but he can admit to something of going through a terrible time with the devil, if Jesus can do it, you and I need to be open with some leaders around us and other Christians. Listen, I haven't got it all together. Right? It's not as, you know, the sin is not not having it all together. It's pretending we have got it all together when we haven't got it all together. Does that make sense? Right? The Watergate scandal is not what the people don't even remember what the scandal was. It was actually about one political party bugging the officers of the other political party in America. The scandal was not what they did, it was they tried to cover up what they did. They tried to pretend it didn't happen. And I love the Bible because in the Psalms, David is angry with God sometimes. He pours out his soul, but God doesn't strike him with lightning because he likes people to be real. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, knowing he was going to take the sins of the whole world upon himself, the punishment for the sins of the whole world, the Bible says he sweat as it were great drops of blood. He was very heavy, the Bible says. And the word heavy is the word we use for depressed. And then you're going to say to me, well, I don't understand that. And I understand what you're saying because martyrs have gone to be burnt at the stake singing hymns. So how is it we've got martyrs going to the stake singing hymns and Jesus is saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But you know what? Anybody want me to say why? You see, when a person dies with outside of Christ, they have to spend an eternity outside the presence of God. The Bible calls it hell. That's just for their sins. But Jesus wasn't dying for his sins because he hadn't sinned. In the Old Testament, every time they, they uh, every came to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies with blood. It was the blood of an animal. And there would probably be two million people in Israel at that time. And all their sins were associated with the sacrifice of that animal for that year. That's two million lives of sins in one year that the animal was taken. But the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. 
So what was happening to all those sins? They were waiting to be paid for by the Son of God, Jesus, who would pay for millions and millions and millions of sins on the cross. That's what the book of Romans means when it said that when Jesus died, he didn't die for his sins. He didn't even die for your sins. He died for sins of the past. All the sins up to Calvary, all the sins of millions of people after Calvary, like you and me who've been forgiven, somebody has to pay for the sin. Jesus paid for the sin. That's why he sweat as it were great drops of blood. He was, you see, if you're going through depression, if you're going through, don't get, don't let Christians say, oh, cheer up, you know, live in victory. That's said by people who've never understood mental pain. Snap yourself out of it. That's the worst thing you can say to people going through that. Give people, people don't want, so, you know, sometimes I'm being very, very honest today. I'm way away from the, I'm not too far away from the message. We finish by Tuesday, I would think sometime. <laughs> You're right for 10 minutes, aren't we? Because I, told what, I know what time you finish. <laughs> a lady once came to say, this doesn't reflect very well on me. I'm a young pastor. My man, pastor was very young. I was in my second church. I'd been in my first church for five years. I was in my second church when I was 25. I'd been five years already in one church, or 26. And a lady came to see me in the church office, and she began to talk to me, a much older lady than me because I'm a young man, and all these things that are going on in life. And as she's talking, I've got all these texts coming to my mind. Because, you know, I've been brought up in a Christian home. My father's pastor, my grandfather pastor, my great-grandfather pastor. So I've got all these texts. I know my Bible. And so I cut in about 10 minutes into what she's saying, and I give her all these texts that God had given me, or I thought God had given me. And she leaves. And the first words, now don't shoot me, I'm just telling you the truth. First words I thought when she'd gone after a while was, wow, you know, I'm only 27 and I've got all this Bible knowledge, isn't that amazing? And the Holy God said to me, the woman knows as much about the Bible as you do. She did not want to know any more texts. She wanted you to shut up and listen to her. You see, the people here, and you say, well, I'm, I'm not being a Bible college. I don't know my Bible as well as others. Do you know, the biggest help you could be to another Christian is to shut up. Not prophecies, words. God gives you this. Just give them the time to offload what's in their life. Give them an ear. And you will be the biggest hero in this church. See, people come to church, and I've been a pastor... I can say this. They come to church more for warmth than light. My people didn't come to hear to my preaching. I hope they enjoy the preaching. They're helped by the preaching. They came for the warmth of being with the people of God, being in the presence of God. And you can be part of that warmth. Now. Not when you've been through five courses. Now. You can be that warmth. Moving on. And Gideon, I'm not going to go and I want to come to a conclusion but Gideon was so depressed, he was making, trying to make wheat in a wine press and he was in a pit. And depression is about being in a pit. And the angel comes and says, Gideon, get out of your pit and go in the strength you've got. You might have a lot of strength, but just make a step now. 
Don't wait till you're stronger. Don't make yourself you've got it all together. Don't wait until you're a superwoman, a superman. Just get out in the strength you've got to get out of the pit. Then I'll give you a strength for the next step, then the next step. Are you following me? I left my house early this morning, half past five. I've got a drive, my car's on the drive, and I've switched my headlights on. What if I said, right, I'm going to Harlow, and Lord, I will begin to engage my gears at the moment you shine my headlights on the church in Harlow. Hey, I'd be still on the drive. I'd be still on the drive. I'd still be there. What I do is, my, I've got X amount of feet that my, your headlights and my lights, headlights go. When I can see it can get me to the end of the drive, I engage the gear and I go into the revelation that I've got. Are you with me? And then because the headlights are always there, I'm always moving into more light and more revelation. So often, well, Lord, if I could just see the end of my story, if I could just see how it's going to be at the end in the future, I'd start to move forward. God says, no, you've got headlights on. Go in the strength that you've got. Someone say amen. amen. One more before we finish now. Talking to the women. I've talked to the young people. I've talked to the older people like me. I'm talking, I've talked to the men. I'm talking to the women. Deborah. Right? Deborah. She had a husband called Lapidoth. And she had a, a commander called Barak. One of those names means fiery torch and the other means lightning. Unfortunately, they weren't willing to do anything now. And fiery torch was a damp squib and lightning, well, wasn't lightning. And so she said, if they're not going to do it, I'm going to arise as a woman in Israel. Those who are women, please don't wait I'm not talking about women leadership. I'm not getting to all that debate. I'm saying if the Bible says in Christ there's no Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. There's no economic differences in God's mind. There's no racial discrimination in God's eyes. There's no um, male-female discrimination in God's eyes. That's what the Bible says. We're all one in Christ Jesus. So don't wait. Well, you know, if I was a man, I would do it. Listen, if God's women, just hear this. That's all I'm going to say. God gives you a now moment. Operate in the now. Someone say amen to that. Amen. Last thing then, resurrect, enter in. Let go of things we shouldn't be holding now. Enter into things that we um, embrace things, grasp things that we should be receiving. That's what I've been talking about for the last few minutes. And now just enter in. I'm going to, you know, Psalm 118 verse 24. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad it. If you've got the King James Version, this is the day. Not tomorrow. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The Bible says on the day of of resurrection, the women came to bring the men the message of the resurrection. That's very important, women. Go and tell the brethren. And so Peter and John heard about it. Peter's a great big strapping, muscular fisherman. John is a much more slight kind of person we get from the pictures in the Bible. And so one's a great big giant of a man, one's much more slight. And the Bible says that they set off running to the tomb together. So imagine this now, the women have come and said, Peter, John, Jesus is alive. So they rush towards the tomb. The Bible says this, the Bible says this. If you've never seen it before, it's John 4, 35. They run together 
because John is a faster runner, he gets there first. Peter is big and muscular. He gets there second, but what's what happens now? I'm called John, so even though I'm not slim, as you may have noticed, gets to the tomb first, but he stops at the edge of the tomb. He's too scared to go in. Peter comes later and runs right past John and enters into the truth of the resurrection. See, if you've been a Christian a long time, you got to the kingdom first. But if you're a wrong person, I don't mean young in age now, I'm talking about you not being saved long. Don't think, well, God can't use me. I don't get now moments. It's people who've been in this church for 20 years get now moments. 10 years. I've only been a Christian a few years. I don't know my Bible as well as others. It's not who gets to the tomb first. It's those who enter into the resurrection. Amen. Amen. Those who enter in. So let's pray together. Now, let me read this. If you don't mind closing your eyes and just listening to me, pray this over and bless you with this. This is Romans 13, verse 12 to 14. And... Um, it's in the message, which is a paraphrase, but it'll bring out the truth. Look out for the now moments in this passage, right? I'm going to pray God's blessing over the house. That means over the church, over the pastor and his wife, over the leaders, over you, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're young in faith, whether you've been a Christian a long time. Romans 13 says, but make sure you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-to-day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off oblivious to God. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake now to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when we first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute. We mustn't squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity, indulgence, and sleeping around, dissipation, in bickering, grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed now. Get dressed don't loiter, don't linger, waiting until the very last minute. Remember the, the bird on the water? Don't linger, wait until the last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ. Be up and about now. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing your word with people who are open to your word. Thank you for the men and women of God in this place. Thank you for those who've come into the kingdom, Lord. But thank you for those who have also been in this place a long time. I pray blessing, Lord, over David and Carol again. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for those in leadership, Lord, in the wider sense in this church, whether it's in music, whether it's in youth or children's work. Thank you for every member, every adherent, everybody in the sound of this word today. Father, I pray your blessing, not in the future, but I pray for a challenge from the Holy Spirit now. Just talking, thinking about people, and you, you, you're on the edge of church in the sense you've never committed in membership. Make a decision now to become a member. Make this a decision now to make this your spiritual home. Get your roots in the place. Make a decision to tithe now, not until you've got more money coming in. Tithe now. Those things. Why do I do it? Um, it makes no difference to me. It makes a big difference to you because the Bible says if you bring the tithe into the storehouse, I will open the windows of heaven and pour a blessing on you you can't contain. I tithe from the day I had a butcher's round as a little kid. And God blesses you over time. I mean, you don't have to sacrifice, but God blesses you over time. So, Father, bless this house. Bless your people. Thank you for the privilege of preaching to them today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John.